Support for WRFA is brought to you in part by the United Ways of Chautauqua County. United Way is a nonprofit organization that mobilizes the community to help every person and family improve their lives. Donations to the United Way stay 100% locally in our community and get invested in more than 40 community-based programs. These programs help students achieve academic success, families to be self-sufficient and financially stable, and vulnerable households to get their basic and emergency needs met. The United Ways of Chautauqua County, proud supporters of community radio in Jamestown, New York. To learn more, visit uascc.org or call 716-483-1561. Using a federal grant to hire eight new firefighters hasn't gone as smoothly for Jamestown Mayor Eddie Sundquist's administration as he might have expected. We talked with him about the financial questions raised about the proposed hiring, as well as discussing cannabis, the state budget, and more. The city of Jamestown was awarded a $1.8 million Staffing for Adequate and Emergency Response, or SAFER, grant by FEMA in February. The grant is proposed to be used to hire eight new firefighters in the Jamestown Fire Department. Since March, the resolution to hire those firefighters has been tabled twice by city council due to questions and concerns about costs during and after the three-year grant ends. We welcome Jamestown Mayor Eddie Sunquist to the WRFA studios to talk more about this issue. So good morning. Good morning, Julie. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So the main sticking point for council members seems to be when hiring in these positions is uh, financial implications to the city budget. So how, how are you addressing these issues that they have and concerns they have for during the three years of the budget and then what's beyond after that grant would end? Yeah, so we were really excited to be awarded, one of the very few communities awarded a SAFER grant, which fully covers not only the the salary, but the benefits of uh, firefighters in order to get the city up to national staffing levels. Uh, So what this city would need in order to be be fully staffed adequately would be eight additional firefighters. Uh, So we did put in a grant. uh, We were awarded $1.8 million out of the grant for eight firefighters for three years. Um, since that time, the city council has uh, asked for additional funding or additional cost outs for um, additional gear, uh, for uh, training and, and the like. Um, all things that aren't covered uh, by the grant right this moment. Uh, so we're, we've put all those things together and as we've costed it out, it looks like it would be just around an extra $100,000 a year uh, to add eight new firefighters. Everything else for the next three years is going to be covered. Uh, When we look at that, we also say, well, we're also uh, adding a second ambulance uh, to this. And our ambulance, as as your listeners may remember, we started uh, billing for ambulance service a couple years back. Um, Our ambulance last year alone brought in $300,000 that we then reinvested into our fire department. Uh, With the running of a second ambulance, um, we anticipate that we can easily cover those those costs each year for the next three years, and in fact, uh, even some more uh, going forward. Uh, the city has the ability to uh, run additional calls uh, if with a second ambulance. Uh, last year alone, our uh, mutual aid agreements with other surrounding communities, uh, they covered 468 calls, ambulance calls in the city uh, that the city was not able to run or All-Star uh, was not able to run. So with the second ambulance, I... I understand that and recently that the first ambulance had gone down. Is that still the case or is that repaired and up and running again? Well, I saw it in the in the garage the other day, so I, I think it's back up and running. Uh, but uh, we certainly every once in a while when our, our ambulance has to go out of service, we have an agreement with All Star where they uh, are graciously provide us a second ambulance that they have. 
Uh, and so we utilize that uh, during the period where ours is down for service. Mm -hmm. Do you have a timeline for how long it'll take to get the second ambulance purchase and up and running? Because I know that when it comes to a lot of fire and police equipment, there's modifications that usually has to be done. And I didn't know if there was any kind of particular timeline that was provided by the company. Well, luckily there's uh, only a few companies that actually provide ambulances. Uh, and many of them are, are usually custom spec, but a lot of things are actually standard on an ambulance. So although we put out an RFP for a specific ambulance and the requirements for it, uh, putting those together is a very quick turnaround. They don't have an, uh, an exact amount of time, but I don't think we're looking at a year uh, lead, uh, like most of the equipment that we're getting, uh, I think in talking to our uh, various uh, providers or various businesses that, that uh, work in this field, um, we're looking at anywhere from three to six months for an ambulance. Okay, that's a lot quicker because, yeah, I can remember discussions when um, council was approving the American Rescue Plan funds for the DPW and parks equipment that they're saying, well, yeah, it could be a, quite a while for before the equipment actually came in. So that's good news. Uh, when it comes to the grant, as we've, it's been discussed, it is a three-year grant. Um, what is the likelihood that, assuming that the city is going to apply for this grant again, that they could get get it again from FEMA? Well, strong likelihood. Uh, if as long as the city continues to maintain its staffing levels and does uh, whatever it's required to under the grant, um, there have been many communities that have received it again. And in some cases, we've had uh, members of Congress advocating for a third round of the grant, uh, something that we've seen in Buffalo, actually, uh, most recently. Uh, so it is a strong possibility. The the grant, there's two different types of grants under SAFER. Uh, the one is for recruitment and uh, actual uh, placement of eight new firefighters. And then the second portion of a grant is a retention grant, keeping those eight new firefighters for another three-year period. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I'm thinking, yeah, you said that there's been um, elected officials like I met, yeah, U.S. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. I put out a press release saying how, how thrilled he was that he could support this and, and get it through the Senate again, the, the funding for this. Uh, so, yeah, and, I, and he's someone who had put out a press release himself on these awards going out to New York community. So at least we know that there's one advocate on your side uh, for for that. Well, I, I have to say, Julia, that we have to understand this is a big deal for a city to get a safer grant. And in fact, we got we got two grants for fires, really the only two federal grants for firefighters, one for called an assistance for fire uh, firefighting grant and another one called the safer grant. Uh, the city alone won those both awards, well over $2 million between the two. And it's a big deal because communities like Jamestown don't typically win those awards. There's a lot of work that we have to do on our end and a lot of advocating I have to do on behalf of the city. But providing that life-saving, uh, whether it's fire protection or emergency medical care, was something that we've been talking about since I ran for office, right? And we want to make sure that we have the ability to do so. And we're very excited to be able to win it. Uh, and we're hoping that City Council uh, does the right thing and helps us uh, find a way to yes instead of just saying no. Mm -hmm. And I remember the uh, the other funding you got that was uh, some of that was going to be going toward uh, bailout gear, which is something that the council had put extra money in the budget for for this year. But that, you know, can be offset by this grant now. Yeah, we received a grant for bailout gear and radios. Radios. That uh, was so, the second thing. Yep, one of the concern was that our radios uh, don't necessarily connect to or talk to other agencies. Uh, and so these would be upgraded radios that would allow for that. Mm -hmm. So looking beyond, like, say. Uh, in the unfortunate situation that you apply for the for another round of the grant and you don't receive it, uh, what what are what are you looking at 
doing should you not get that funding again? How are you? How is the city going to handle that financially? I mean, is there so, something anything you can look at now? Yeah, there's a lot of questions that have come up in regards to it, and uh, I think we agree that if we're looking at the same picture now as we are uh, right now versus three years from now, uh, it, it would be hard to sustain uh, all of those firefighters. Uh, but we understand that the union has been a part of that conversation. We 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 all understand those ramifications. But at the same time, we are looking at a significant amount of retirements uh, throughout the, the next couple of years, uh, which uh, could ensure that we don't have to replace those those firefighters. Uh, so we do have to hire eight firefighters. We have to keep those eight firefighters. We have to maintain a minimum staffing level set by FEMA. Uh, but we have some flexibility on not replacing some of the firefighters that are that are retiring out. And we can certainly do that over a period of time. Mm-hmm. Now that brings something forward that I remember it was kind of came up at the end of the discussion of the last voting session was the question of whether or not the city is bound to having to hire eight firefighters or could it be a lower amount? Now, I didn't know how the grant was set up. Was there was the grant agreement saying you must hire eight or was there any kind of flexibility in that? Not a lot of flexibility normally. Uh, I think one of the questions came up is, could you do that? And our response is, well, we would have to ask FEMA. But the the grant itself is built so that we uh, meet a minimum staffing level to provide adequate uh, fire protection in the city. And so that's based on national standards. Uh, And to meet just the basic national standards, we would need to add eight individuals to our roster. So um, we do have and we're working on setting up a call between the city council and FEMA uh, so that they can ask any direct questions that they may have about this grant. We've tried to answer everything that we ha- we can, and there were a lot of questions that have come up last minute uh, before it was tabled. Uh, so we're, we're working to set up a, a direct call with FEMA so that they can ask those additional questions. I will say that uh, FEMA doesn't usually negotiate on grants. They might have some leeway. Uh, but they're looking at the national uh, the national standards, and those would require us to have usually around eight new firefighters mm-hmm. for a city our size. Is this something that you anticipate will be a call that happens during the work session on Monday the 8th? No, we're going to have to set up a separate one. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we, uh, we don't often see federal agencies working past late hours. So uh, we'll most likely, and I've, I've talked to uh, Council President Dulce about this, have to schedule a separate work session. Uh, for for that call and uh, allow the council members to ask those questions, those that can can show up, uh, and uh, you know get out anything else that you have. Right, you've got lots of additional questions. We've asked them to give those in advance so that uh, FEMA can be prepared to answer those questions for us. Um, some council members have sent additional questions, uh, and so we're working through that process now, and we're hoping to address any other questions they may have before they go to a vote. When you're referencing the minimum staffing levels, uh, has the Firefighters Union indicated any willingness to sign, um, I think it was called, an impact agreement saying that they won't come after the city if the grant fundings are, are not received again, that, and, and they're, say there's maybe not enough retirements where you would be faced, the city would be faced with possibly having to lay off uh, firefighters that they wouldn't come after them to say, okay, no we've had eight, these eight additional firefighters, whatever the case may be. Have they said anything about that? We have had conversations uh, with the union about that. And so we are uh, making some headway with it. Uh, uh, but uh, obviously those are um, negotiations between the city and the firefighters union, and we'll continue to to work uh, through those. But I will, I will tell you that the union has been fantastic uh, to work through this process. 
Um, we all agree that we want to add more and we, we need to do this together. Uh, so they have been more than willing to uh, to kind of make this happen. And it's it's been really refreshing. Do you think, I mean, there were questions raised about, we obviously, we not, we don't have pure crystal balls here. We have an, in, an, an indication of what could happen in the future, but we don't know for sure. And there was questions raised about those retirements. It's like, do you have a plan for what will happen if the retirements you anticipate do not happen and you don't get the grant funding? Well, we know the retirements are coming because our firefighters uh indicate retirement a year in advance. So we know that there are those that are that, are, that will be coming up. Uh, so, you know, I, you're right in the saying that we don't have a crystal ball, right? But the reality is, is if the city continues to do what it always does, nothing is going to change. So this is a unique opportunity for the city to fully fund eight new firefighters uh, for three years, fully understanding what could happen down the line. There may be layoffs, there may be changes. Uh, everyone is agreeing, everyone knows that, including the union, uh, and we'll work to try to figure that out. Uh, but the reality is, is that if we continue to do absolutely nothing and continue to keep the city the same way it is, if we take no risk at all, uh, we get no reward and we also get no change. Uh, and when I ran for mayor, I said we were going to shake that up and we were going to work to make some change and make our city safer. And that's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Moving on to new topic, this is something that is, I would say, current for this week because if I, I was at a morning presentation, you were there later, but uh, there was a few presentations done in Chautauqua County by former presidential drug policy advisor, Dr. Kevin Sabat, and he, he was invited here by Chautauqua County Sheriff Jim Quattrone to talk about his concerns on cannabis legalization, and you know he voiced concerns about how cannabis is marketed to youth, the potency of THC, health effects, go on and on and on. So yeah, it, and, and, and as I said, I think in uh, comments to Jason in our morning chat, it's hard to encapsulate everything he talked about because he talked for two hours. It was a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you you were able to attend a private event that was with um, some elected officials and other uh, was. organizations. So what are, what are your thoughts on what? you heard honestly it was really great to uh to speak with dr sabet and uh, i very much appreciate the sheriff for putting that together and uh, inviting elected officials and others uh, to that conversation uh, you know there are times when uh, i've been very clear on cannabis policy which is uh, it should be legalized uh, and has been legalized uh, and it should be regulated uh, in our uh, in our city uh, and across the state and we're working through that. In fact, I, I don't think we're doing it fast enough <laughs> in some cases. Uh, but I, I do agree with some of his points, which is um, we need to be very careful about our children and how we market uh, these things to our children. Um, because he made a really good correlation with the tobacco industry and in particular, uh, the vaping industry with Juul, right? Which uh, many, many attorney generals have now sued Juul uh, for its marketing campaigns and attraction towards kids. And, um, and they, in fact, they just settled with New York State with Jewel. They did. Yeah, yeah they, they did. Uh, and, you know, everyone from North Carolina to California to New York, uh, you name it. Uh, and, and so I very much agreed with a portion of his presentation that talks about, uh, you know, should you be using marijuana uh, before the age of 25 and its, its impact on the brain? 
I, you know, so I want, we should be careful as a, as a community. And one of the things that um, I, I do want to note is that New York State has been trying to be very careful about some of those things. For example, under its new regulations, uh, they're considering uh, having no billboard advertising uh, for cannabis so that you know where a legalized cannabis location is, um, so that we're not marketing those things, that various marketing tactics are approved by the Office of Cannabis Management. Uh, so that we're not following in the same pitfalls uh, that we saw from the cigarette industry. Um, but certainly there is a challenge when you have a large commercialized industry uh, that is uh, you know, promoting this stuff, right? Um, I've always been a, a big uh, proponent of having smaller dispensaries and smaller operations, right? Family-owned operations, which is exactly what we're looking at here in the city of Jamestown. We've not been looking at these large dispensary operations here. We've been looking at small uh, family-owned operations uh, or small businesses uh, that want to get into this market and help provide relief uh, for our community members. Uh, so there's there was a lot to the presentation. You're right. It was two hours. Uh, you know, certainly I appreciated uh, what Kevin brought to the table. Uh, I, I'm a little skeptical on some of his statistics, but uh, that's just the, uh, you know, that's just me generally. Uh, but certainly uh, I'm very appreciative of always having that conversation because at the end of the day, it's, uh, you know, talking about that, uh, those types of topics, talking about the impacts that we have as a state um, are the most important components because that's how we make this process better. Mm-hmm. With uh, New York State, there, I mean, as you said, that there's some there's been criticism that they're they're not moving fast enough. Obviously, we're still waiting for a lot of things to happen. It seems like, well, obviously, I know that the lawsuit was one thing keeping things from happening here in Western New York, at least, for opening dispensaries. Uh, one of the criticisms I've I've seen in news stories was about questions over how to go after illegal dispensaries. To which I'm like. Well, I thought that was pretty clear because I knew Jamestown had, yeah. <laughs> had, had gone after some. And so, I mean, yeah. where do you, is, is it clear? Is it not clear, the language about how you deal with, um, you know, these illegal dispensaries who don't have the, the licenses or whatever, or people who are selling black market? Well, uh, I guess clear as mud, right? I don't, <laughs> is that the phrase? Uh, I think the issue that we've had is that the the ultimate uh, entity to go after any of these things is the Office of Cannabis Management. Uh, when the city started to see pop-up dispensaries, uh, we uh, reached out to the Office of Cannabis Management, and they did not have an enforcement team at that time. Uh, and so it was a bit of a struggle in order to to figure out what to do. And as you noted, Jamestown is one of the first municipalities to start to shut these places down uh, because we really believe that you know these pop-up dispensaries are harmful. We don't know what's in those those products. Uh, and in some cases, those products were being sold next to chips in a grocery store, a convenience store, right? Uh, and that's very harmful for our kids and everyone else in our community. Uh, so we did uh, utilize local enforcement tactics to shut those down. Since that time, I've had the opportunity to meet the head of enforcement for the Office of Cannabis Management, um, introduce those individuals to our enforcement officers here. Uh, so now the Office of Cannabis Management does have a full team uh, that will help to shut down uh, surveil and then shut down uh, illegal dispensaries. But so in a sense, then, it kind of takes a, the ability to crack down out of the municipality's hands. 
Well, we still have our own local uh, codes that we can apply. Uh, so one of the things is a certificate of occupancy requires that you have all the legal licenses and permits. Uh, and New York State is the only one that can provide you a dispensary permit. So if you do not have it and you are indeed uh, selling cannabis, uh, we have the right to remove your certificate of occupancy. Uh, so essentially shutting down your business uh, for, a, for a period of time. Mm-hmm. And then I guess and then in hand in hand with that, then the Office of Cannabis Management's team would then do their, I guess, whatever they need to do on their side regulatory wise. That's correct. We also notify the Office of Cannabis Management whenever we've shut down a cannabis operation. Um, we also have to be notified of any type of dispensary before it opens uh, in the city uh, for a comment period. And the city would obviously provide information uh, to the Office of Cannabis Management against any applicant that was illegally selling here in the city. Mm-hmm. And uh, to your point, just for listeners, that there are things that are in the state budget dealing with the enforcement and in dealing with uh, illegal dispensaries and that. And so we'll, we'll have more details about that as the state budget uh, begins to be passed. And, it, and, you know, as we, you know, it is being acted on the bills, budget bills right now. Uh, it's, it's We're over a month after the state budget was due. Uh, one thing that Governor Kathy Hochul fought for that's in this budget is a change in bail reform to give judges discretion for setting bail. And you had voiced some opinions to in the past to city council on that. So what are your reactions to this update? Well, uh, first and foremost, I want to say kudos to uh, Governor Hochul for holding out on uh, the bail uh, issue in regards to everything else that she's got going on in the budget. Right, Her signature piece was some of the housing components, uh, which didn't make it, but she did hold strong on uh, bail reform. So rolling back portions of uh, bail reform that New York State uh, did. Now, I want to be clear, I very much agree with bail reform as an attorney, right? Bail is meant to hold you uh, to your next uh, court date. Uh, but what we're seeing is uh, kind of an overreach of that where there are, there is no discretion given to judges. And in many cases, even in the city alone, we were issuing multiple appearance tickets in one weekend uh, for a defendant that isn't showing up to to court the next week, right? Uh, And so now we've got increased warrants. Now we have to go find these individuals, right? It has caused a huge strain on the system for individuals that aren't actually showing up. They aren't doing what they needed to do, which is show up. Now, I also want to be clear, we're not talking about petty crimes, right? We're not talking about uh, shoplifting crime. We're not talking about uh, those uh, those smaller crimes. Um, we're talking about some violent offenders, and we're talking about uh, folks that have very strong domestic violence incidents uh, that aren't being held over like they should. Uh, so we are. I'm happy to see that the governor held out uh, and has provided some judicial discretion uh, uh, for some of the most uh, difficult and heinous offenses uh, to hold folks over to trial. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the the housing compact that the governor had put in her plan. That it sounds like now it's going to be discussed some more after this these budget bills are finally passed. And uh, do you see an opening here to maybe get some of what the houses were proposing? which was they, they were kind of saying, well, we don't agree with the governor's plan. And this sounds in line with what you were talking about with the New York Conference of Mayors, where instead of having the governor say, okay, we're going to come in and we're going to build these houses and we don't care about what your zoning board says, but um, where the the house, the state, uh, the state uh, assembly and Senate both seem to be saying, well, how about we provide money for these projects to go forward versus telling them you're going to do it. So I don't know if you've heard anything more about what might come 
up in the coming weeks before the legislative session ends? I haven't yet, uh, although we are, uh, there will be a, a New York Conference of Mayors uh, annual conference coming up in May. Uh, so we're hoping to learn a little bit more from the governor and uh, her team. Uh, but the reality is that we do need more housing here in New York State. Uh, we don't have enough to handle the large enterprises, the large businesses that will be coming in, um, Jamestown included. We have a very large electric uh, battery assembly plant coming in uh, that has, it's good, we're bringing a lot of jobs and we certainly need better housing. Um, I'm not going to say we necessarily need more housing, but we certainly need better housing here in the city of Jamestown. One of the things that I've talked to the governor's team about, uh, which is how do we uh, flip this idea of saying, instead of just adding more housing, how do we improve the housing we have or remove this older stock housing that is not unable to be re rehabilitated uh, and convert that into uh, more affordable uh, apartments or other types of housing in the city. Uh, so one of the biggest things is we're waiting to see what that is, right? Um, I think there was uh, a push to come in too strong uh, to subvert some of the uh, local zoning regulations. Uh, but at the same time, I think there's an opportunity for the state to provide incentives uh, to make this happen. Mm -hmm. And just because we were talking zoning here, and I don't know if you have any update, is, is where is the city right now with um, the comprehensive plan and zoning update? Uh, so the RFP uh, should be, or maybe I've already gone out, uh, so that's uh, in the process now. Uh, some of that gets held up by uh, New York State. It's funded by a grant. The majority of it's funded by a grant. Uh, so much of what we do in our RFP has to be reviewed by the state first uh, before we can actually put that out and then finally approved. So it does take more time than we would like, uh, but we have to remember this is uh, trying to uh, you know, move forward from a comprehensive plan and a zoning plan that has been many, many years out of out of date, and uh, it's going to take some time right. and a lot of public input. Right, and I, I recall uh, Director of Development Crystal Surik mentioning that it, it is a multi-year process. Oh, it certainly is. Yes, uh, and it it's a it's a good thing that it is because things do change along the way. And we want to make sure that it's a snapshot in time of what is best for our community going forward. Right. So the corporation that owns the former Crawford Furniture Building on Allen Street was in housing court recently. And uh, this is the structure that back in November 2022 had a, um, a very serious fire. Uh, based on that appearance and comments by their attorney, it seems likely that Allen Street Development LLC will be pleading guilty to two code violations the city of Jamestown had against them over the last handful of years so can you comment on how this case is proceeding because with the corporation itself they've been in housing court and been in, involved with the legal process with city of jamestown for quite a while now but it seems like things are moving forward well they're certainly moving to trial so there's uh, there is that uh you know what we want to do is we want to ensure that uh no matter who you are uh, you can't come into the city of Jamestown, uh, purchase a property, and then not keep it up, not uh, you know, keep it safe for individuals around it, uh, and just let it go like we saw at uh, the Crawford Furniture site. Right, We had a blatant disrespect uh, going on by this owner uh, of this property. And he needs to be held accountable because because of that, we have now had 15 agencies respond to that fire to help clean it up. 
Lord knows what has now been in the air and the water. We've been testing for it, right? But it was a major fire that caused a major issue in our community. And we will always, always under my administration, hold those people accountable for their pariah-like activities here in the city. Uh, so we're excited to move forward. Our, our team is ready. Uh, there was a pretrial that happened uh, not too long ago, uh, and uh, we're not there yet. We have not yet received uh, the actual guilty verdict on the code enforcement, but moving forward, we want to hold those owners accountable uh, for this property because we've expended money to do an emergency demolition. We now have to work with the federal government to try to s get this property cleaned up. Uh, and we don't know how much that's going to cost. And certainly that cost alone uh, could be a huge detriment to the city and its taxpayers. Mm -hmm. And I know the Environmental Protection Agency was in town as recently as the last couple of weeks, still assessing the site from what I understand to determine what, just what has to be done to clean up that site. Uh, did, has the city received any notice from them that the EPA will assist with any funds with cleaning that up? Yeah, you know, I just got a call the other day from uh, the Majority Leader Schumer's office uh, just asking about how, how everything's going with the EPA. Uh, and uh, to be honest, it's going very well. Uh, we are in the process. They're still doing uh, a site survey. They're still going through uh, their process as a federal government. Obviously, every government's very slow, uh, but certainly uh, they have a very specific set of uh, things that they are looking for in order to qualify us for any type of cleanup. Um, and once we go through that process, um, I'm hoping at the end we uh, are going to be successful in um, retaining the funds, especially with the support of the majority leader. Mm -hmm. So thinking, moving back toward uh, city government operations, uh, there's a, a number of uh, positions that you have available for hiring right now, including a new position. And we'll start with that one first. Uh, City Council did approve the hiring of an ombudsman. So where, where do you stand with that? Do you have someone that you're in mind? Because I do remember Corporation Council Elliot Raimondo saying to, I think, the Finance Committee or, or the whole City Council, I do have someone maybe who would be great for this position, but have you advertised that position? What's going on with that one? Yeah, the position is currently uh, open and being advertised uh, through the city's uh, website and other uh, mediums. Uh, so just to be clear, the ombudsman is essentially the HR position uh, in the city and is meant to be a, a go-between uh, for various departments uh, if you know things are going awry, right? Uh, as well as to uh, work directly with our unions and our management uh, to try to uh, resolve issues before they get to the level of, for example, the corporation council or the mayor's office. Uh, and so it's a really uh, great position that the city has not had in a very long time. They've always just combined HR with our corporation council office. Uh, but the needs of employees have changed tremendously uh, after COVID. Um, we're seeing more individuals with mental health issues, or we're seeing more uh, just employee to employee disagreements, right? And those are things that we need a dedicated person to try to resolve, someone that can take the time during the day uh, to ensure that uh, the employees are given space, that their needs are being met and addressed. Um, and it's often hard to do when, you, when you're also handling all of the legal <laughs> aspects of the city, in court, including court appearances. So um, as the needs of employees change, the city is trying to be reactive uh, to that, uh, reactive in a way just because we've seen those needs change, but also proactive uh, as we move into the next couple years uh, because we don't think that's going to change. We, we really do believe that um, we need to be uh, you know, uh, better in tune with our employees 
And an organization our size really should have a dedicated uh, human resources position uh, that just helps employees with the issues that they have. Mm-hmm. I realize that you know it's five months before you release the budget, but there were concerns brought up about the fact that this position is only funded through the end of the year. So have you had ideas of how it would be funded going forward? Yeah, we're working with our various departments. So the position that was established with the former associate corporation council was partially funded also by Jura and others through funding for the corporation council's office. So we're working through that. We're trying to see, obviously, this human resources position ombudsman would also support Jura and others. So we're working through that process to see if we're able to continue to use some of those funds. Uh, to to keep that position. Great. Uh, any update on how things are going with finding a new comptroller or director of uh, public works? Well, we've uh, talked to several folks and had uh, many interviews. Uh, I think there is uh, there is some concern that it's a big role, right? And uh, the city, uh, like many cities that I have uh, talked to nowadays, have a lot of open positions and not a lot of people to fill these roles. Uh, so we're still working through that process. Uh, now, as a reminder, uh, this is an appointed process, the comptroller. Uh, so it's really only appointed to the end of the year. And I think that scares some folks, right? And uh, that's just the reality of the work that we're in. Uh, so we're, we're continuing to talk to people. We've made offers. And unfortunately, all of them have been declined at this point. Uh, and so we're, we're continuing to go through this process. Mm-hmm. And former uh, Comptroller Joe Bolito, I think he's still uh, on a contractual basis with the city helping out with things? He is. God bless him. He's willing to come in uh, after retirement uh, and still help us out. Uh, we don't take that for granted, and we very much appreciate him and all of, all of his work helping to guide the department. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I'm thinking that, well, I mentioned that you wouldn't be releasing the budget for five more months. There's a lot of work that goes in before that. Is he said that he's willing to help with that process? Should you still be looking for someone? We haven't got there yet. So <laughs> we're we're still working with it. Uh, at, at this point, we're, we're just trying to ensure that we're able to close out 2022, uh, make sure that we're in, the, in, in good shape for the audit that typically comes up. Uh, and then we'll uh, we'll start to uh, look at next year once we've closed out last year. Great. Is there uh, anything else that's going on that you'd like to tell us about? Uh, no, we're just uh, we're getting into spring. It looks like a great uh, great uh, spring coming up. We've got a lot of events uh, coming up this summer. So uh, you know, mark your calendars. There's a lot coming up, and there should be no lack of things to do for our, our family and our residents here in the city of Jamestown. All right. Well, Mayor Sunquist, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me, Julia.